Welcome to Shofar Ronnebosch Sermon Podcast. We trust that today's message will edify and strengthen your faith. Okay, while they're taking up offering, I think I'm going to get going. Yeah. Okay, it's nice and cold it's in, uh, this morning, so uh, we're going we're gonna to heat things up this morning. I'm glad to see so many people here. I was really thinking there weren't going to be many people here, so well done. You are obviously the committed here, right? Eh? Long weekend, freezing morning, good on you, good on you. Extra blessing today, yeah? <laughs> okay, so today is obviously Father's Day, so I wanted to start before I get to my main topic or sermon or whatever. Um, I just wanted to pray for for fathers today, and not just fathers, but men in general, because um, every every man or most men are going to uh, one day become fathers, and maybe our spiritual fathers as well. Okay, so um, you know, in today's world, I'm sure you have seen and noticed that there is an incredible attack on manhood, um, and and the world is saying. The world is trying to, to close the, the, the gap in gender differences between men and women, okay? And you hear it all the time. A couple of months ago, there was an ad that um, Gillette brought out about toxic ma- masculinity and all of those type of things. Um, and it's something I'm passionate about. But it's, it's um, I think a lot of men don't realize or don't know their position. They don't know um, their role in society and in the family and that type of thing. So um, the other day I was reading a, um, an article by a guy named Greg Morse, just about manhood and masculinity and that type of thing. So I want to read you um, parts of it um, and, then, um, and then pray for us and pray for the men in the, uh, in the, the room tonight or today. Um, and yeah, so as I said, I'm, I'm really passionate about it. And I feel that there is, I know that there is, a, there is a place for manhood. There's a place for godly manhood and godly masculinity. And it's actually a good thing. The society and the world needs men to fulfill their roles. It's not a bad thing. If you've got godly men in church, in family, in the world, it's a good thing. Just as godly women and step, women stepping into their role, there is power in that. You know, um, and and there's there's power in in men, and and the society needs men. So, Greg Moore says this. I'm, I'm taking bits and pieces. If you want to um, read the whole article, I think it's in Desi- the website Desiring God. Just um, I think it's called Not Safe but Good. That was the title of the uh, of the passage. Very very good one. It says there. Um, Do we celebrate male strength, courage? zeal, and initiative, because we know that these are required in order to God, protect, subdue, and lead. Such men of God who are gentle exactly because they are first strong. So what he's saying is that men today, we need to be, men need to be not only gentle, okay, but also strong. And strength is the, the area I, th- I feel in, ma- in manhood that's being attacked, you know, men are, are told today that need to be gentle and soft, and, and that, that's true. Um, but there's also a strength that God has put in men that um, is, is being subdued and attacked. 
Um, men like Gandalf, who after exuding his strength of presence, could then, and the, is it, can you just put it up there, please? This part of ears, I can't see it in my, anyway, I'll keep going. Um, I'm not trying to rob you, I'm trying to help you. So he's saying softly to Bilbo, um, a tiger, not a kitten, can exhibit gentleness because he is first strong. Endangered is that species of lion-hearted masculinity that bears Aslan's description, not safe, but good. Our present ideals, like the ones I once held, do not require goodness to make men safe, because they ensure that men are safe regardless of goodness. The man reborn in, his, in this image says nothing uncomfortable, rallies no charge, and shows little, if any, initiative. He is goaded to be convictionless, passionless, perhaps even Christless, if but subdued. And then a little bit on he says, Such men, gentle and strong, present a paradox to the world. His hands build up his household, wrestle with his boys, sip tea with his daughters, and grip the hilt of the sword against the agents of darkness. He is a godly warrior who sleeps in his armor, fierce and meek, and good wherever he finds himself. The description can, by the aid of the Holy Spirit, be redeemed. Thou wert the meekest man that ever ate in a hall among ladies, and thou wert the strongest knight to thy mortal foe that ever put spear in his rest. In the rest, the king's men will be found with Christ in the thickest part of the battle. They will eschew waste, wasting their lives, venturing nothing, growing warm for nothing, exercising no initiative taking no stands, building no fortitude of faith, engaging in no spiritual battle, carrying no burdens, planting no flags on unconquered hilltops. The men of this king, for the re very reason that they despise playing with foam swords against the forces of evil, create the safest culture for their women and children. Dangerous men under God, holding one another accountable, will not stand idly by as the bears maul those they should rather protect and nourish. Okay, and that was a very powerful uh, passage for me. And, and um, yeah, what he said is, is very powerful. And, you know, what, what I feel is, is often men and fathers, um, they don't know, they don't realize the strength inside. And they've been told the whole time that that is a bad thing, that strength and that zeal and that initiative. Um, and the whole time it's been suppressed. And, you know, like God comes to Gideon, Gideon's, to me, this is a very good um, um, story with Gideon, and it, and it shows exactly what, what's happening today. Gideon was someone who was fearful, he was scared of the Midianites, um, and God comes to him, and he speaks something into him that Gideon himself doesn't see in himself, okay? He speaks that strength, all right, and that courage, and I feel that Today, that's what I want to do with the men and, the, and the, uh, the fathers, is to speak that courage, you know, speak that thing that God has placed in them that needs to now start coming out. Because, like we said, the world needs it. Even though it thinks it doesn't, it does need that. Okay, so let's pray. Okay, Lord, we thank you for, for fathers, Lord. We thank you for men as well, and those men that are going to become fathers one day, Lord. And we thank you for that strength and that zeal that you've placed in every single one of them. Um, and I, Lord, I just speak that into being now in Jesus' name. For those, those fathers and those men who don't see it within themselves, that strength and that zeal, I pray that you would 
show them that, that part of them that you have created of them, Lord, and, and that you would bring it out, Father. And we thank you that, that under your authority, Lord, that strength is good, Lord. It's, it's something that you have created, Father. And so we speak that into them. We speak that into their lives. We pray for courage, Lord, to stand up and, and be counted, Lord, and to stand up for truth, Father. And so we just commit them to you. I pray that you would bless them today and, and the rest of the year, Father. And um, give them wisdom as well, Lord, as, as those fathers, as they lead their families, Lord, in, in, uh, in your ways, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. All right, so... Um, my name's Duncan, for those of you who don't know. I spend most of my time in uh, Kitty's church with my, with my daughters there. Um, but I'm going to be talking on a topic that I am very passionate about, which is truth, okay, and godly and biblical truth. And we started with that, and I loved all the words um, and even the offering, everything tied into what I wanted to say. It's amazing how the Lord, uh, how, how He works. So um, we're going to start with Romans 12, verse 2. So if you've got your Bible, you can open that on that, on that scripture. Um, and it says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Okay, I'm going to read it again. Do not be conformed. Dictionary definition of conformed says to behave according to socially acceptable conventions or standards. So do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. Okay, transformed talks about, uh, let me just read it. To make a dictionary definition, to make a marked change in the form, nature, or appearance of. This transformed the, uh, the word in the original Greek gets used one other place in the Bible. And that's when Jesus was transfigured on the, on the, uh, on the mountain. Um, and if you remember that scripture, what happens is his whole appearance changes. Okay? His clothes start shining. And, uh, and, and there's a certain glory that, that, that is shown there. Okay? So it, it's, it's more the actual... A better definition there or a better word would be transfigured. So you could actually say, do not be conformed to this world, but be transfigured by the renewal of your mind. So I'm going to look at three things. I want to look at conformed, transformed or transfigured, and um, the renewal of your mind. And, and I want to focus on those things. And um, there's, a, there's a fable Excuse the environmentalists here. I'm going to freak you guys out a little bit here. There's a, there's a fable about how to boil a frog. Have you all heard about that? Do you know how to boil a frog? Now, I don't know if this is true, so don't kill me of this. But um, the fable on, on how to boil a frog goes, goes like this. If you want to boil a frog, don't boil the water first so that it's hot. You leave it cold. Put the frog in the, in the, in the pot. Okay. And then you start slowly heating that pot up. Okay? And what happens is that frog gets used to the environment that it's in. Okay? It gets used to that cold water. And as it starts heating up, it gets used to that next stage of heat or whatever it is. And then as you go, and you go it slowly, it must, must be slowly. It can't happen quickly. But 
at every stage and at every uh, level of heatness or whatever you want to call it, I don't know if that's the right word, but that frog gets used to that environment and that heat and eventually it just dies. Okay, so it never, it never is going to jump out of the thing, out of the pot because it never realizes that there's a change in temperature. And that's how you boil a frog, Marianne. You're going to do that next time at you. Okay. Small group's going to be interesting on Wednesday, huh? Okay. Um, and to me, this is, this is a very good analogy of what, what I see happening a lot in the church these days. Um, and I've got a bit of concern about the church in general, as, in a corporate sense, as well as an individual sense. My feeling is that us as Christians, this is happening. The devil has put us in an environment and he's slowly heating things up. Okay, and as he heats things up, and I'll talk about how he's heating that things up, those things up, but we don't realize there's heat coming or the, the heat is, is there. And, and we're slowly boiling in a sense. Okay, and that, and that sense is that that our power as Christians and our effectiveness is being boiled away at this point. Okay? Um, and w I want to talk about, about how that's happening, but that is my concern. I had, a couple of months ago, I had a, a dream. Um, I don't normally have, my dreams are very all over the place. Okay? Normally when I wake up, I'm like, yeah, this is a silly dream. Um, but I had a, this dream was very, um, clear to me, and it made me take notice of it. And I was, um, me and a whole lot of people were in a block of flats. Um, and I don't know what happened before or what happened after, but I had a distinct um, realization that we were about to go to war. There was, we were preparing for war. We were like soldiers. And I remember the, the uh, coming through the driveway, there was um, a lot of artillery there was this massive truck that came through with this huge missile coming in and we were there were a whole lot of these these uh these trucks and this this military stuff coming through um and and i had that real real sense that we were just about to go to war and then i woke up um and and what i felt that that was i felt that the lord was telling me that you know we're we're, we're entering a phase where where we're going to, our, there's going to be a massive spiritual battle, okay? And I'm sure you've noticed that, you know, over the past few years, it's become harder and harder to be a Christian and to stand up for, for those things that we believe in and to stand up for public, biblical principles. Um, and we know that, that our battle is a spiritual battle, but, but we're entering that, that place. The, the persecution, unfortunately, is, I think, probably just going to get worse okay that battle the, the devil is not happy and he's bringing a battle a spiritual battle against us um and and my concern is that us as christians corporately and individually are actually not ready for that battle because we have become too conformed to the world we've become too conformed to the world's way of thinking and way of uh, acting and behaving um, and there's a couple of areas that I want to highlight that, that I feel that, that we have entered that conformity of. I think that's the right word. Um, and then what the solution to that is. Okay, so the, the first thing is 
that I feel us as Christians have, what we've been doing more and more is we're trying to fit God into our own lives instead of the other way around, okay? Instead of fitting us into God's way of doing things and in God's plan, we fitted God, we've molded God into what we feel is best and how we can live our lives. And I want to, that's the first thing. Um, there's a scripture in, I'll read it to you right now. Um, there's a scripture in Matthew 5, verse 17 to 20. So before I read this, so the, the, the first thing that I think, what I see often in the church today is that we've taken the word, we've taken the Bible, and often what happens, and I do this as well, so I'm also guilty of it, is that we love to take certain parts of Scripture out. Okay, we, we focus on certain parts of Scripture, and other parts we go, uh, either I don't understand this or I don't really like it, so I'm not, I'm not going to focus on that. I'm going to focus on the good stuff, um, but the, uh, the difficult stuff and the things that I don't understand, I'm, I'm not going to focus on that. And in doing that, we're actually fitting God into our lives and our ways of doing things. Because we go, uh, we pick and choose. The parts that we like in the, in the Word, we'll follow those things. And the things that we don't like or we don't understand, we go, no, I'm not going to worry about that stuff. You know? and, and in the Word, it, it's, it's very easy to justify a whole lot of things by taking Scripture out of context. Okay, there's a lot of stuff, a lot of bad things that have happened in the past that has been justified by the Bible, but by taking things out of the Word, picking it out without seeing a context. Okay, and that's the first thing that, uh, that worries me. Um, and Matthew 5 verse 17 to 20 says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets, I do not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever re um, relaxes one of the least of the commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. <clears throat> For I tell you that unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Okay. So Jesus is saying that we need to take the full counsel of the word. Otherwise, um, we're in a dangerous place. Um, and I can give an example that, that, that really challenges me. There's two parts of the Bible that are extremely challenging to me. Number one is Job, the book of Job. Okay. I find, I look at that, that chapter or that book and, and I still don't understand that book. I don't understand God's way of doing things there. But the reality is that that's part of scripture. Okay? Sometimes we look at that. This is my thinking when I look at it and I go, God, how can you put someone like Job through something like that to prove a point to the devil which you didn't really need to prove anyway. He doesn't need to prove, God doesn't need to prove anything to anyone. Okay? But the reality is that that book is in the Bible. Okay? It's part of the word. And we need to follow what's in that. And we need to seek God 
with answers to that. And I pray all the time, Lord, show me what was your thinking behind that. And I'm going I'm to carry on with that. But that, you know, we have often a view of God and of a view of how God should be. Okay, and we mold our view of how God should be according to what we think is good. All right? And, um, and often there's stuff in Scripture that completely contradicts certain things. Let me give you another example. Some of you might have seen a week or two back or a month or whatever, the Pope officially changed part of the Lord's Prayer. Who, who saw that? So what, what, he, what he's done is there's a part that says, Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So he is, he's now changed it to do not let us fall into temptation. Okay. Now, I looked at that and I go, oh, that's the same thing. There's nothing different about that. But then the more you think, so the, the, the thing that concerned me, though, was his reasoning behind it. So if the scriptures, if the original passage if the best translation was that, then fair enough, okay? But his reason behind it was um, a good father would never lead his children into temptation. And that's where I thought to myself, that's getting very dangerous. Because he has, or the Vatican, I'm sure it wasn't just him, has a view of what is a good father. And they fitted, they've changed the scripture to fit their view of what they think a good father is. Okay, and that's starting to get into dangerous territory. Um, if we look at what, you know, all of us have got a view of what a good father is. Okay? Now, this is an example. A good father would never sacrifice their children. God did that. He sacrificed Jesus, obviously for a good thing, to save us. Okay? But that... That concept goes completely against what we view as a good, and what I view as a good father. But we know that, that the Lord is a good father. Okay? There is nothing evil about him. There's nothing not good about him. He is completely good. So whatever he does, Job, his, how he, how he uh, sent Jesus and how he sacrificed Jesus, he did that in his goodness. Okay? And, and that takes, that changes well, my perception of of what a good father, that completely goes against that. But I need to adjust my way of thinking, not the other way around. Okay, the other one I saw the other day on a TED talk. There was a pastor who talked there, and, and, and his whole talk on the TED talk was how he doesn't believe in hell. Because how can a good father send anyone to hell? That was his, that's what he, he said. And again, that to me is a very dangerous place. Because I don't know what Bible he's reading, but the, Jesus talks a lot about hell. Okay, it's not a nice topic, but it's a reality. Um, and there's another example of someone, and it's a pastor, which is quite scary, um, who has taken his view of what a good father is and changed Scripture or taken out parts of Scripture to fit his view of, uh, of what a good father is. Okay, and, you know, we, I look at those type of things, and obviously that's concerning, but I find in my life how many times I do that. Okay, if I go to certain situations, what is my view of a good God? All right, how do I view my circumstances and the way that, that my life runs and His goodness? 
Okay, and oftentimes, you know, this last four years, probably been the toughest four years of my life, um, and going through a whole lot of stuff. We lost our, our firstborn four years ago. Um, he, he was a week overdue, and his heart just stopped. And we don't know, we don't know why, but that's what happened. Um, and, and going through, I started two businesses, and, you know, we're pretty much in the process of liquidation in one of them at the moment. And I look at all these things, and it's obviously there's been a lot of stress coming up to that. But all of those circumstances, you know, does my view of God in that, you know, let's say with, with, with my son four years ago, I have no answers at this point. I'd, I've asked God why. I asked for healing when it happened or during the process. Um, I, there was no healing that happened. Okay, there's been no answers. I have no better picture. There's no re medical reason why it happened. Nothing. And and a lot of the time, I look through that and I go, God, how how being a good father? How can you let that happen? Why are you not giving me answers? But my change of my my um, thinking and change of my or mind needs to change. Okay. Because even in those times, even in those times that we don't understand what's going on, we need to trust that he is a good father. Okay, another part of scripture that challenges me big time is the story of Joseph. Now, this, I'm sure we all know the story of Joseph, but he, I, he spent, I think it was 17 years um, in prison before he, um, he became, he was second in charge of Egypt. But in that scripture, in that passage, there are, there's two things. One is that there's no record of him ever, um, he, he stood fast to God in that whole time, okay? But there's also no record of God ever speaking to him in that whole time. Now, you imagine Joseph, in all parts of that whole passage, did the right thing. But it seemed like as he, the more he did the right thing, the worse his situation got, okay? And the, the deeper into prison he got, the more he, the, the more good he did, okay? And I'm sure that while he was sitting in prison, he must have thought, God, what is going on here? All I've done is served you. All I've done is my best. I've, I've, I've never gone against your word. I've tried to honor you in everything, and I'm sitting in prison. What is going on, Okay? And as I said, there's no, there's no um, record of, of God ever answering him in that time, okay? But God had him exactly where he needed him to be, okay? And we know what happened within a, within a day, he went from being in prison to being deputy president, okay? It's, it's quite a big jump. Um, but but that, is a, that is a passage that really challenges me because, again, it, it goes against everything that I view of God and how, how I would expect God to act, you know? If, if I thought that he was going to put me or whoever in second in charge, I would think he would take us through, he would prepare us, you know, he'd give us maybe a, um, a, a smaller job that can prepare us for that time. But God knew exactly what he was doing, and in that he was good, and his plan was good, and we need to believe that. Okay, so, so 
with, within all of this, my fear is that we've replaced the supremacy of the word with socially acceptable thinking and behavior. And that's my, 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 um, my concern with all of this. Um, and, and the result of that is we lose, as Christians, we lose our power. We lose our effectiveness. Okay? We often wonder there's, you know, the, the people are leaving church in droves at the moment. And there's, I look at, I look at the, uh, I look at the Acts church and I look at where we are as a church, not here, but in, in the general sense. And I don't see a similarity. I know that God is, is going to come and he's going to restore but I feel that us as a church and, and individually even, we've lost that effectiveness. We've lost that power. Um, and this is one of the reasons why. The other one is, um, is consumerism. I, felt, I, I feel that consumerism has filtered into the, the church both corporately and, and individually. Okay? And, and what, what is consumerism? Consumerism basically says, whatever makes you happy, whatever you need to do to get happy, that is the ultimate thing that you need to chase for, okay? Happiness is like the utopia that we all need to be going for, and if it doesn't make me happy, I move, all right? Or I change, you know? Um, if my job doesn't make me happy, I move jobs, okay? Oftentimes, if... Uh, so, you know, the, the divorce rate is, even in, in, in the church, is high. If my wife or my husband doesn't make me happy, I move or I change, okay? It's uncomfortable, but that's the reality, that, um, that we have allowed it, consumerism and that chase for happiness to affect our lives, individually and, and in the church, okay? And what is the utopia of, of of being a Christian? What is that thing that we need, to, we need to strive towards? It's not happiness, but it's actually obedience. Okay, that's, that's the utopia. You know that, um, well, how do I put this? You, you are a good Christian or whatever you want to say if, if your whole goal in life is to be obedient. Okay? Now, the difficult thing about that is obedience doesn't always equal happiness. A lot, of the time it, a lot of the time it doesn't. And that's where the problem comes in. Is because oftentimes, even in our obedience, things, certain things start getting worse. Our perception of it. Obviously, we know God has a greater plan. Um, and, and then we often start questioning God. We start questioning ourselves. All of those type of things. Okay, But we need to, as Christians... We need to strive towards obedience, not happiness. Okay, God, is not, God has not saved us to make us happy. Ouch. Okay? That's not what he wants. Now, does God want us to be happy and joyful? Of course. He, that's, that, that's his, he's a good father. Okay? He wants us to be happy. He wants us to be joyful. But he has an internal perspective which we don't have. He knows the end goal from the beginning. He knows everything in between. And he knows what the ultimate form of happiness and joyfulness is. Okay? Um, and oftentimes it means, doesn't necessarily mean happiness all the time here. Okay? Does he give us peace? Of course. 
Okay, is he with us wherever we go? Definitely, that's what he promised. But he didn't promise happiness. Okay, and actually, sometimes he promises suffering as Christians, which is also something we, especially um, evangelists, often don't like to, to talk about. Okay, because that goes against that, that doesn't bring the people in. Okay, imagine, come to Jesus and you will suffer. All right. Doesn't, doesn't sound good and doesn't bring lots of people. But unfortunately, sometimes, not all the time, sometimes that is a reality. And sometimes God wills it. All right? It says here in, um, in Peter 4 verse 19, part of it says there that we suffer according to God's will. Okay, that's something that we don't like to quote ever. Okay, suffering is oftentimes something that that is a reality as, as, as Christians. Um, in the New Testament, the word suffering or, or the concept of, or the topic of suffering is mentioned 84 times in the New Testament. It's a lot of times. Okay? And we as Christians need to, we need to understand that. Okay? And when suffering does come, um, we need to, that's the time we need to press into God. Okay, and not question his goodness. Okay, now there is, God just doesn't put us through suffering just because he feels like it. Okay, there is a purpose in suffering. Okay, um, Romans 5 verse 3 to 4 talks about suffering and the purpose of suffering. It says that suffering produces, let me just make sure I get this right. Suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character and character produces hope. Okay, that's why he puts us through suffering often, is to develop those characteristics which are way more eternally um, helpful for us or whatever than having happiness in this world. Okay, and we need to realize that and we need to be, be careful of the whole concept of consumerism and entering that, that concept of consumer, consumerism. Okay. Um, Matthew 16, verse 24 says, Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Or what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what would a man give in return for his soul? I often look at people these days who, um, who are deemed successful. And I look at their lives and I, and I think of the scripture. I think, you know, it sounds and looks great that they have so much, but if they are forfeiting their soul for, for all of that, there's a problem, okay? and, and, uh, and it's not a good thing. Hebrews 5 verse 8, although he was a son, talking about Jesus, he learned obedience through what he suffered. Okay, how often do we learn obedience? Through suffering. Okay, and that has much more eternal worth than, than our happiness and comfort in this world. Okay. Um, Hebrews 10 verse, uh, sorry, 2 verse 10 talks about how Jesus was made perfect in suffering. Okay, so again, that was talking about suffering. All right. So, it's not a nice thing to talk about, and it is not a comfortable thing, but it is a reality that us as Christians need to understand, 
Okay? It doesn't mean that we need to look for suffering wherever we go, obviously. But we need to understand that that is often a part of our Christian walk, is suffering, is persecution, those type of things. Right. Everyone still happy? <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, okay. So that, the next thing that, that, uh, that, that I feel is uh, something where, where we have become conformed to the world is, is, is the word tolerance. Okay. I'm sure you've all heard, heard that. And, and the, the narrative, a lot of the narrative of the world today is, is tolerance and tolerating people. Um, now, us as Christians have, have fallen into this trap as well. Now, let me, let me clarify myself. Us as Christians always need to accept everyone. Okay? God calls us to love every single person. Okay? Yes, so accept people. That is, that is biblical and that is what the, uh, what the Lord calls us to do. But we cannot ever accept sin in any people's lives. Okay? Sin is something that Jesus called out. He loved every single person that he ever encountered. Okay? But he did not accept the sin in people's lives. Okay? Now, saying that as well, often I think that the church has approached this in the past in the incorrect way. Okay? Where they have done it in an unloving way and an, and an unbiblical way in terms of, of the concept of sin. But sin is something that Jesus talked about. Okay? If we do not highlight sin in our own lives, firstly, but in other people's lives, then we're missing the boat. Okay? Love Love is not overlooking people's sin. It's saving them from that sin. Okay? So often we think that, that we're being loving by being tolerant. Okay? We're, we're not being loving by being tolerant. Okay? We need to, like I said, we need to accept people firstly and love them because they are God's creation. Always. Okay? But we can never accept sin. Alright? Sin is a Sin is a word and a concept that in the church today, we have stopped talking about that. We're so scared to offend anyone. And the whole concept of consumerism is if, if, we, if, if we start talking about sin too much, then our numbers start dwindling. And, and that doesn't work for some, for some churches, unfortunately. All right? But Jesus talked about it. Jesus highlighted it. Um, and, and, and we need to as well. Okay, firstly in our lives, as I said, but also in other people's lives. All right. Um, and we need to be careful of that, of that tolerance. Romans 1 verse 8 said, that, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Okay. We have traded our truth as Christians and as, as the word or from the word with tolerance. Okay. Um, and we need to be careful of that. Um, right, and I'm going to talk of the, there's a in John eight. There's a there's a scripture that says, "And then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free." Okay, freedom is found in truth, not overlooking people's or uh, number one our sin, 
and other people's sin. We need to be speaking truth into people's lives. Okay, it's an uncomfortable thing, but it's the reality. It's biblical. And if you, if you don't agree or, or this doesn't sit well with you, I challenge you to go to Scripture and see, read it for yourself. Okay, it's read, study Scripture and see what Jesus says, says about it. Okay. Um, the other one is, is the, and it's related to this, is being real versus being authentic. Okay, a lot of people say to me or to say to, to other people, I'm just being real. Okay, accept me for who I am, I'm being real. All right? And that's great. Um, but I believe there's a very subtle difference between being real and authentic. And this is the, the difference, I think. When we talk about repentance from sin, there's two parts of repentance. One of them is confession, confessing your sin. The other one is repentance, turning away from that sin. Okay, so it involves a turning away from it. It doesn't just involve a confession. And a lot of Christians especially get stuck on the first part. They feel that confession is all that they need to do. They just need to be able to confess it, and then you just need to accept it. Just accept me for I am because I've confessed it. But there is a, there is a turning that needs to happen as well. Okay, and I'm, I'm guilty of this as well. I, even in accountability, I will confess something or say I'm struggling with something. But a lot of the times I don't really turn from what that thing I'm struggling with. I just say, I'm struggling with it. Pray for me. Yes, that's, that's great and that's true. But it involves a turning. Okay? And it, that involves a decision from yourself. Okay? Um, to turn from that sin. All right. Um, so Acts 3 verse 26 said, when God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. Okay, so there's a very definite turn that, that we need to happen or we need to do. All right. Next one. Um, and this is, a, this is a small one, but it, it, it irritates me actually, to be honest, um, is, is that... You know, there's a lot of, uh, how do I put this? A lot of um, people today, especially um, these, these inspirational speakers, they tell you, you can be whatever you want to be. You've just got to put your mind to it. You've just got to work hard and you will get there. And that's a great thing to say and it's very inspirational. But there's just a slight mistake as Christians that we make. We can be whatever God wants us to be, not whatever we want to be. Okay? And the difference there is who's in charge. Okay? Who is in charge of your destiny? It's God. It's not you. Okay? Yes, you can be whatever you want to be if God wants you to be that. If God doesn't want you to be that, then no. All right. And, and that's an important thing as Christians is we need to realize the sovereignty of God and actually who's in charge of our lives. Am I in charge of my life or, or is God in charge of, 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 uh, of my life? And when I submit to him and when I give over that, that um, sovereignty and, and my life, then he's able to work in me whatever he wants to, be, to do. Okay? That was just a little side note. Um, it says here in Ephesians 3, Now to him who is able to immeasurably 
more than all we can ask or imagine, according to his power that is work within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Jesus Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. And this is, this is another place where Christians often take out a part of Scripture and use it often. They, they go, I can, be, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. 100% true. Okay? But the sovereignty of God is still important. We need to know and we need to, um, we need to, to prayerfully consider what is God's will in a certain situation. Where does He want us to be? And wherever He wants us to be, we can do that because he strengthens us to do it. Okay. Okay. Everyone's still with me? Everybody want to leave yet? Okay. Okay, so, so the three parts, as I said, one of them uh, of that original scripture, Romans 12 verse 2, the first part was being conformed. That's what I just talked about. Okay. Oftentimes, us as the church have become conformed to this world. That's why... Um, Paul was talking in Romans there to the church in, in Rome, all right? And just a background there, when he wrote that um, Romans, that was AD 57. And um, Emperor Nero had just come into power at that point. And at, at that point, they were, they, were, they were okay. There wasn't much persecution against them. Um, they were... They seemed to be pretty, pretty okay. There was a little bit of infighting within them, but more or less they were okay. Seven years later is when the persecution of, 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 of the Romans, of the Roman church began. There was a huge fire in Rome, and Emperor Nero blamed all the Christians for it, and, and that's when the persecution happened. And sometimes I, I feel that, that we're maybe in a similar place. The persecution of, of, of Christians is, is coming. Unfortunately, there's a lot more persecution against God and God's ways of doing things and God's ideals. Um, and, and like I said, we, we're often not ready for it. Um, and the question is, how do we become ready? How do we become, um, how does our power and effectiveness as Christians increase? Okay, and, and, and it comes in, in being transformed by the renewal of your mind. I want to focus on that quickly. So we said transformed in the original Greek says to be actually transfigured. And that talks about firstly an inward change or a transformation and then an outwardly change. Okay? The inwardly um, is only by the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay? We need to trust that the Holy Spirit inwardly transfigures, transforms us. Um, and after that inward transformation, the outward transformation happens. Okay? And, and, um, and it happens by the renewal of your mind. Now, what does it mean to renew your, your mind? Okay? That's important. Because it says we can only be transformed by renewing your mind. All right. Um, Ephesians 4 verse 17 says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. Talking about your minds again. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their hearts. Okay. So their minds have been darkened because of the hardness of their hearts. All right. Now, um, 
I'm going to quote a part, a passage from John Piper, and he best for me summed up what renewing of your mind, the renewal of your mind means. Okay, so listen carefully because this is the crux of, of the whole matter. Okay, it says here, he says, it is the renewal of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit renews the mind. It is first and decisively His work. We are radically dependent on Him. Our efforts follow His initiatives and enablings. This is how the mind is renewed, by steadfastly gazing at the glories of Christ for what they really are. But to, to enable us to try to do that, the Spirit must do a double work. He must work in two directions, from the outside in and from the inside out. He must work from the outside in by exposing the mind to Christ-exalting truth. That is, he must lead us to hear the gospel, to read the Bible, to study Christ-exalting writings of great spiritual men, and to meditate on the perfections of Christ. And then he keeps going. He says, we join the Holy Spirit in his, his precious and all-important work. We pursue Christ-exalting truth. And we pray for truth embracing humility. Listen to rich expositions of the gospel of the glory of Christ. Read your Bible from cover to cover. Always in the search of the revelation of the glory of Christ. Marianne brought a word, a couple, was it last week or the week before? About that, exactly that thing. Okay. Read and ponder the Bible saturated, Christ exalting writings of great spiritual men and women. And from the habit of meditating on the perfections of Christ, and it, in it all, pray, pray, pray that the Holy Spirit will renew your mind, that you may desire and approve the will of God, so that all your life will become worship to the glory of Christ. Okay. And that is the result of renewing your mind. Okay. There's three things that happen if we've renewed our mind in that way. Firstly, as we, like the, uh, the scripture keeps, keeps saying there, it says that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Firstly, what happens is we, we realize and by testing we know the will of God for our lives. Okay, that's the, the first thing. Second thing is our power and our effectiveness as Christians is increased by this. Okay? By pursuing truth, by pursuing holiness, um, that power and that, um, Wesley was talking about the power in us, that power is increased. Okay? We become effective as Christians, we become effective as ambassadors for Christ. Okay? And the third thing that happens is we enter a true freedom um, personally in our lives and corporately in the body of Christ. Okay? Um, 2 Corinthians 3 verse 17 says the Lord, now the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord, there is freedom. Um, and then Galatians 5 verse 1, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand therefore, stand firm therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. And John Piper, again, this was, um, he, he puts freedom or he describes freedom in this way. I thought it was very, very cool. You are free in Christ. Because when you do from the inside what you love to do, you are free. If what you love to do is what you ought to do, 
And that's what transformation means. When you are transformed in Christ, you love to do what you ought to do. That's freedom. Okay? And that's something that we need to strive towards. That is true freedom. True joy and peace and contentment is found in that. When we are able to, when we love to do what we ought to do based on biblical principles and biblical truth. And that's something that us as Christians need to strive towards. Um, and it is, a, it is a difficult thing, okay, because the world more and more is fighting against biblical truth. But us as Christians have a responsibility in our lives and in the church corporately to uphold God's truth. That's our call, whatever it means, okay, whatever persecution or suffering or whatever it means. And it, it's often not a nice, nice thing and it doesn't bring in the numbers but if we, I believe that us as Christians corporately, if we hold fast to the truth, if we are preaching truth, which I believe here in Shofar at Rondebosch, we do a lot. But as we do that, that will bring people, that will change people with an eternal change and, 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 and it will have eternal effects, not temporary short-term effects. It's got long-term effects. Um, and, and us as Christians individually, we need to we need to pursue that freedom. Um, so, so what I want to do, that's flight, flight, my stories, eight, that's me. What I want us to do is, is I think that, and, and I'm included in this, I think every single one of us in some form of, of our lives conforms to the world's standards. We follow certain things and, and our behavioral patterns um, conform to the world. Okay, and what I want us to do is I want you to get into groups of two or three and just talk through this. Where are there certain areas um, that you feel you still conform to the world's patterns? Um, and then pray with each other for, for strength. Okay, because we can't do this without the power of the Holy Spirit, the enabling of the Holy Spirit. You know, these, these things are all nice to hear, or maybe not nice to hear, but, but they present an ideal that in our own strength, it's impossible to achieve. Okay, so we really need to trust the Holy Spirit's power and enabling for us to become holy. Okay, and, um, and, and that's, that's the thing. There, there's, no, there's no goodness in ourselves. There's no power in ourselves to be able to get to this point. Okay, but as Jesus was transfigured on the mountain in front of his disciples, that's how we need to be to the world. We need to shine with that Holy Spirit and that, that, uh, that glory of God um, through our uh, renewal of our mind and not conforming to the world's patterns. Okay? And that's going to attract people. That's where we have the, the, the long-term the, the long effects and the long-term uh, um, uh, change in people's lives and in our lives. Okay, So let me pray quickly and then we can get into groups, partners, I'd encourage you as well to get in, to, to pair up with something, someone you don't know um, and, and chat through this. Okay, let's pray. Okay, Father, we, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth, Lord. We thank you that it is truth and it's the ultimate truth, Lord. And, and oftentimes um, the word doesn't make sense, Lord, and what you say doesn't make sense, and a lot of scriptures don't make sense, Lord. But I, I thank you, God, that in all of that, Lord, you are good, number one. 
and that you love every single one of us and your desire is that every single person on this planet comes to salvation and comes to know you, Lord. That's your heart um, and you are good and you are loving, Father God. And, and I pray, Lord, that, that as we open ourselves to your, um, your convictions, Lord, and, and your word, that you change our perception of you. You change our perception of, of, of your goodness, Lord. And I thank you, Lord, that even in times when we don't understand you, Lord, I pray that every one of us would, um, would, would know that you are good, Father, that you would show us every day that you are good, Lord. Thank you that you do show us every day, Father, um, and you do bless us, Lord, and you do, as I said, you love us, Father. But um, yeah, I pray for that strength, Lord, to, to, to transform our mind and to renew our mind so that we're able to not conform to this world's patterns, Father. Um, we pray for that holiness now, and I pray that, that you would show us in every single one of us, Lord, where are we personally conforming to the world's patterns of um, thinking and behavior, Father. And so we just commit all of that to you, Lord, and we thank you that it's only Holy Spirit by your strength that we're able to change at all, Lord God. Any goodness that is in ourselves is only there because you put it there, Father. There is no goodness in us that, that we can claim was, was from our own doing, Father. And yeah, and thank you, Lord Jesus, that it was first your sacrifice on the cross that allowed us to get to, to this point, Lord, and allowed us to, to uh, have relationship with you, Lord, and, and, and that you change us, Lord. You change our character every single day, Father, and, and ultimately that change of character gives us hope that one day, when we're in heaven, Lord God, when we're with you, Lord Jesus, that you will restore everything, God. And, and that's where we will enter your, your perfect joy and your perfect happiness, God. And so we just say, Lord, as well, that, that we look to that, Father God. We don't look at, 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 at the world, Lord, and, and, and any happiness that it brings, Lord. But we seek your ultimate um, peace and your ultimate joy and your ultimate contentment, Lord. Thank you for that enabling in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. So spend five, ten minutes. Talk to someone that you don't know, preferably. Otherwise, um, whoever else, and, and, and chat through this and pray through this.